Hello and welcome to another episode of the St. George's Ride and Start, the official podcast of the Church of St. George the Martyr in Kales River, alongside the chapelries of St. Mark and St. Monica's. I am Lindsay Shooters and I am joined as always by the director of our parish, Archdeacon, Father Rodney Whiteman. Father Rodney, how are you doing on this wonderful Saturday? Good afternoon, Lindsay. Um, I'm actually feeling quite good because I assisted my wife and daughter in cleaning the house and oh. um, the sweat was running from my brow <laughs> and the indulgence um, stuff in my body were, were actually giving me um, a good sense of self. So I, um, and I just heard my daughter concluding the session of vacuuming and mopping and dusting. Mm. Um, we should do this every second Saturday and I remained quiet there was no resounding amen to that <laughs> prophetic statement. <laughs> and as a result, it felt very good to be able to share this with, with, uh, with the family uh, in ensuring that the house looks representable. Uh, so now we're doing good. And yourself and family? Um, no, we, we, we're doing good. I have a complex relationship with household chores where my wife is involved because she... She has an issue with the way that I sweep. <laughs> okay. And that's just one of the multiple, multitude of issues that she has with the way I do chores. Um, I can pretty much just wash the bath and that's that's okay. about it. So, um, without... so in, other words, in other words, you're a regular man. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so then I take umbrage where it's like, if you're going to criticize me for doing the thing, um, then you might as well just do it yourself. Um, yeah. So yeah, it, it doesn't help that we, that we are quite um, passive aggressive with each other as well. Um, but we we work it out in the end. Uh, but the important question is: um, Is your Christmas tree up? Not yet, uh, but we've we've purchased a new one now. I saw it in the uh, plastic bag, mm-hmm. and so I think the understanding when it comes to my daughters it will be up 12 days before christmas so um, i think that's the intention i am not really into christmas trees and all of that kind of decorative stuff because i'm thinking of other things um, Mm. about the season you know Uh, we're entering now uh, to the 16 days of activism against the abuse and violence against gender uh, gender based violence so um your mind is full of that mm. uh, those things leading up to the um almost as if to say as the brokenness of the world continues um what is more important to put at the foot of Jesus is is the brokenness of the world and not fancy trees and lights that can be a delusion from what he came to be and do for us and to whom he came to be and do. Mm. So, yeah, but I suppose with childlike eyes, I do want to see the glitter too. Um, (laughs) You know, it creates happy feelings and one thinks of what's under the tree and the tree is almost a place for gathering, isn't it? Um, yes. It's a scented place for gathering of the family. Yeah, and I, yeah. I, I, I agree with a lot of your sentiments. Um, but yeah, like 
people need happiness and Christmas trees make people happy. And we, yeah, ours is up. Ours goes up around the 25th. I, it's always a little bit of a wrestle between uh, Monique and I because she, she lives for Christmas. Okay. Um, she really embraces Christmas and I, I appreciate that um, about her. But I do try and temper her <laughs> enthusiasm a little bit. So I impose deadlines on things where it's like, no, you can only put up the tree after the 25th. Like you okay. can't be going more than a month before the time. But uh, you stumbled kind of into uh, what I wanted to open on is the theme you've extracted from the collect is God's son came to us in humility as our savior. So I see this as a bit of an oxymoron. We're placing humility and savior um, next to each other. Um, from my secular view, you rarely see that sort of thing like I do suffer from a bit of a savior complex um, in my personal life where I, I like I, I suffered a, a, a defeat actually this this past week where I didn't know I was pitching against another agency um, and we lost out on, on that account. Um, and I, I, I take it personally because I, I do have that kind of messiah complex going on. I have quite a large ego when it comes to my personal abilities. Um, but can you explain this oxymoron to me or how you are, are perceiving it? Um, good good afternoon to, the, to those that are listening and tuning into this podcast. Thank you, Lindsay. And I greet you in the name of the Lord of hosts who, re who restores us and to celebrate his presence with you. Perhaps just to say that in terms of your own experience, um, is it the whole question of the savior complex is saving, not, not being victorious and successful. So that's why humility is such an important part in that whole thing there, because humility actually come, actually is the word that identifies and embraces humanity. Uh, at its at its lowest point that it ever can reach. Mm. It stands mm. in the middle of that sentence. And on both sides, it's identified of who God is. God's son, and the other side is savior. And um, both powerful uh, sentiments in those in those words of identity. But at the core of who God is, at the core of the expression of God's self, is in humbleness and not with uh, a display of power. Because through, through humility, there's a way in which Jesus, God in Jesus, embraces the frailty of our humanity and recognizes the at the core of, of its brokenness the need to put it back together um, going back to the greeting i just said there the psalmist talks about god restoring us mm. and so um, this to to become savior is to identify with us in order to bring us back to restore us back uh, in other words, to become children with God's son. Um, and so, and also the, the sense of humility starts with this whole thing of 
came to us, not mm. we going to him. Um, and so the coming to us already reveals the action of humility. In other words, we really could not come to God in that state. God has to come to us in the state of brokenness. And then as our, um, it's not just as the savior, but the personalization of that comes as our collective, everybody, nobody's excluded from the experience of God's son as the one who saves us in our humiliation through mm. sin. He comes to do that with humility. And I think the words that again come to my mind when I think of that is Paul's letter to the Philippians chapter one, where he, or chapter two, sorry, where he talks about um, Jesus uh, humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. He did not claim equality with God, uh, but rather chose this way. In that, in that Christian hymn, he, he does that. And so that call to humility, that call to express himself through an action of humility um, is the only way humans will begin to understand mm. him as the saviour. If they did not find in his saving act that sense, the essence of humility, would we have would we have would we be able to respond to him as savior listen to the story from the woman's perspective at the well he mm. comes and sits next to her on the well talks to her in public which does not normally happen she's a woman a samaritan and asks her for something to drink in that way he she's thirsty her family's thirsty she comes to get water from a well, and Jesus eventually says, but I am the well you have to drink from, really, if you want to have life. Mm -hmm. And so, in, in a refreshing way, he helps her to come to understanding that at so level, she forgets the actual duty to fill up the water for the family, she, because she's overflowing with the joy of having met him in a, in a, in a place of humility. In an, you know, he's sitting down, he's not mm. shouting from the rooftops, he's embracing her, he's not judging her. He tells her about her life and she feels so refreshed, she goes and spills it over into the community, uh, who then take up her word and follow what she says. And they are refreshed themselves coming to words, no longer because of you, but because of our own experience with him. So I think that's a marvelous statement uh, of faith that we mm. and petition that we are celebrating uh, on this Advent Sunday and in the Advent season. It is all about God coming to us through his son to be our savior. And how does he come? He comes in humility. Mm. We are the ones who are the, who are the undeserved recipients mm. of his person, and action. So, Father, if you could just take us through the collective prayer and then we can dive into the, into the meat and potatoes. <laughs> so, my sisters and brothers, on the Pew leaflet that you would have found on the Facebook page and perhaps even on the website of the parish, if you have that at hand, let's pray together the collect for the first Sunday in Advent 
and in the Advent season. Almighty Father, your Son came to us in humility as our Saviour, and at the last day he will come again in glory as our Judge. Give us grace to turn away from darkness to the light of Christ, that we may be ready to welcome him who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. So, Father, I just want to sketch some historical context here because we are now with 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 to 9. And Paul is writing to the Corinthians. And I mean, we've been studying the the epistles um, throughout this, this, this journey. And it struck me, like I, I literally pulled up a map and I mapped all the places where letters where these epistles have, have gone to. And Corinth, like Corinth is, is interesting because, I mean, it fell to the Macedonians. Like first they were allied with Sparta, through the Persian Wars, the Peloponnesian Wars, and then they went independent, and then they fell to the Romans. So now they are Roman um, colony, <laughs> effectively. And this is when Paul is writing to them. Um, and it's interesting that all of these epistles actually use the mechanisms of the empire to reach its intended recipient. And like besides for what he says to them, like for <laughs> it, it's almost like a flea riding on the back of a rat on a ship to wherever, like carrying them. It's like the, the empire's destruction is being carried by its messengers. Um, I, I don't know if, if, if you get the same sense, sense from these, these texts. I think the fluidity of the spread of the gospel tells us that in whatever way humans mobilize themselves, um, we are the carriers of the gospel and good news in our words and in our actions. And we cross over boundaries. That's the whole goal of evangelism. That's the work of God's spirit. And so we, in the telling of the gospel story, we embrace, because it's certainly not to embrace how the world is, in your favorite word, evolving. Mm. How the world is evolving, how the changes are happening, and how do we use those changes to speak to, to refresh society about the importance of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and how it ought to help us engage with, when we see how powers come and powers go, when we see how cultures come and cultures go and all of that, throughout of that, that there's a consistency in the message of the gospel. The, the gospel's message fits into the changing society and still brings refreshing hope to wherever it is, got, it is, it is propagated to. Mm. So um, I can speak to you today about the gospel in Kales River and our conversation may either have upset you or may have enriched you in whatever way you go and meet a buddy in Pretoria 
and recall the conversation you've had with me around the gospel. And in Pretoria, you begin to speak of some of the, the things we spoke about. Mm. Either, you know, your fact that you didn't agree with me or, yeah, how, how refreshing the conversation was. So there in Pretoria, crossing how many ki- thousands of killers, you should know? Uh, 1,450. <laughs> 1,450 kilos, and you are sharing in another place where the context may be totally different to what has been in Cape Town, and you're sharing the gospel message. Lo and behold, the person who's listening to you also heard the same gospel conversations with somebody else, but from a different perspective, and suddenly there is a refreshment, there's a conversation of the gospel. So, yeah, it does say that the gospel's message is fluid. The gospel Mm -hmm. message crosses over every boundary possible. Um, the gospel, it shows just how present God is to God's world, no matter how changing the world is. Mm. Uh, I like I like the, the, the words in, in verses 5, 6, and 7. So it's like, for in every way you have been enriched in him, in speech and knowledge of every kind, just as the testimony of Christ has been strengthened among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I mean, this speaks to the gospel, which we'll get to later. Um, but it's, I mean, you were speaking about the 16 days of, of, of activism where, like, I, I, I'm, I'm in the camp where I'm, I'm tired of, of celebrating only 16 days of intensive focus on this problem that is happening throughout the year, all like every day around this country. And like, I, I don't want to lean too much into it because like we've learned now from, and uh, I'm sorry to bring this up again, but like we've learned from in the American election where there have been groups that have co-opted like the human trafficking narrative and overblown it to kind of create further divisions and to distract from actual problems. Um, I feel that the femicide narrative specifically and all genocidal narratives within this country, so be it the farm murders, be it all of those things, have been overblown. Um, but I, I still feel it's important for us to 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 focus on the actual problems and that becomes that, that comes down to like gender relations. And I think this message carries in it like it's it's his opening remarks. It's it's his his first words in his letter to, to, to the Corinthians, but I think they, they carries that hope um, that I, I would want to express to everybody is that even in like your darker situation, there is still some strength in you um, and you can speak truth to a power that is dominating you, no, like no matter what the, the situation is. You know, tapping on what you're saying, the author says, I give thanks to God always for you because of God's grace that has been in you in Jesus Christ. Now, is the grace of God at work when somebody is being battered and bruised by perpetrators through violence um, and through slave enslavement and, and so on? I, I want us to look quickly at um, how I express this writing from 
the perspective of the of the victim and survivor as we think of Sikhs and activism in 2020. Apparently, the Unite campaign theme for this year is Orange the World, Fund Response Preventing Collect. I'm not too certain what that means, but this is what I wrote because I was thinking of this not just from a collective perspective, but really trying to listen to the individual in the mm. collective mm. Uh, and saying how is grace at work within them. And so I wrote, O oh Lord, my body hurts again. He hit me again. I am weak, so weak, my insides are empty and lifeless. Now here, here's what, what I'm trying to bring you to. I looked at the cross again. Mm. The one with with his body on naked, thorns, beating marks, bloody alone, and he was a man. Mm. My darkness looms. Please put on the light. Now I look at that and say, Grace was at work when she looked at the cross again. Mm. The power of symbolism, which captured her eye, gave her strength to see in this sad suffering she's having to go through. Uh, the cross, which has become inevitably a symbol of, um, <coughs> excuse me, Lindsay, a symbol of not just Christmas, but a symbol of for the world to see. Mm. I chose to say there the cross, the one with his body on. Because whilst there are people who want us not to think of the crucifixion anymore, so the cross is empty with no body mm. on mm. to give us the insight that Jesus is risen. And that's fine. We, we celebrate that because we believe in the resurrection. But where was grace at work foremostly for us in that bleeding body on the cross? Because who else could have uttered, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Now, I believe that when we can help victims to who survivors particularly, and when we can have potential victims and victims empower, then these are the words flow from it. For in every way you have been enriched in him. So that is why we can't have a 16-day period of activism. It's got to be a daily experience of activism mm. in this and other regards. Because we we need daily enrichment of grace at work within us. We, when we listen to people who speak out against gender-based violence and any other form of injustices against people, and particularly the voice of women, we hear profoundly knowledge of every kind and speech, which is inspirational. Mm. Why do we need to hear them only during six day, 16 days of activism? Uh, why is the church not empowering more women to speak and to speak up and speak out? Um, because you see at the very church that says it works for grace, stigmatization and judgmentalism 
are too much embodied in the life of the church and in the mind of its congregation mm. that when it looks at, at a victim, particularly a woman who's, 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 who's been battered and bruised, the first thing that normally flows from lips of those who think they work for grace, what did you do to cause yourself to be beaten? Then they start judging a, a rape victim because she didn't wear proper clothing. Mm. Her clothing was provocative. But they don't say anything to the perpetrator whose mindset is of such um, depravity. Uh, a mindset that could have been enhanced by pornography. A mindset that says big boys don't cry. Mm. And so they have to, they, they then of necessity become those who bruise and batter. Uh, and so it's a necessity, I agree with you, that we cannot just have a 16-day of activism. It has got to be a daily one. Um, and then to listen to how the testimony of Christ, which I believe is the testimony of the gospel, would enable speech and knowledge to be so empowering that hopefully with speech and knowledge, we can get perpetrators and potential perpetrators to repent. We can get those who are law enforcement officers to treat women and victims with respect, that we can start looking at um, uh, uh, legal systems that will not um, seek to, 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 to enrich themselves with a case of a, 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 a wife battered or a, or a person that has been raped, but will be able to say, we will do this um, with our skills and knowledge for the betterment of everybody. And the enrichment that we receive is not monetarily necessarily. It is as a result of just experiencing our common humanity together, rising out of the pit of hell that it seems to be in at the moment. Uh, and the church has got to take responsibility for not allowing the voices to come out. And the church has got to be, because look, 16 day of activism wasn't even the church's thing. Mm. We as a faith-based community were so inward looking, you know, because our, the victims who come to the sanctuary for healing are not allowed to speak. Yeah. There's an order in liturgy it will be so disorderly if a woman says, my body aches. And yet that mm. word is necessary to be brought to the sanctuary um, because it's not, it's an isolated voice speaking on behalf of others who are very voiceless. So, and I was looking at this text too, because it says there, and you won't be lacking in any spiritual gift. And you know, again here, it can be so internalized as a church. But his spiritual gift, not is discernment not part of spiritual gift? Mm. Where we can discern the brokenness of people in order to be pastorally caring for them and with compassion. So the question I have here, if, if we give thanks to God with the author because grace is at work in them through Jesus Christ, we know we can look to the cross and can say that's where grace was at work in mm. our brokenness for the purpose of strengthening us um, and of using us through our speech and knowledge in an enriching way to speak what must be spoken. But then, then, 
the the problem that I have with that is, um, like going back to 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 my um, Messiah and Savior complex, there exists when like when when you were saying the woman turns the eyes to the cross, um, there exists a a possibility for that person to then identify with the brokenness and then internalize that as a beating being a test of faith. Um, and then like all of those unfortunate negative stigmas, or at least it's, it's that old idea of you must stick to the marriage and you must, you know, fight for the love and you must do all of this and you must stay in the relationship and you can't quit on the partner. And it's like, I've seen people where they'll stay in an abusive relationship because they believe it's some form of divine test on them. And that's just wrong. And that is one of like the most dangerous things that messages that the church has perpetuated in my experience. Well, I, I wouldn't say the church per se. I would say individuals who interpreted the message as such. My take on this is look a little further, um, um, uh, Lindsay. Yeah. The, the work of grace took place on a cross where death was used as um, the vehicle to which Jesus could say, it is done. It is dying to the things that are all wrong and saying no to them. So the woman who is beaten down could say, I will no longer be in a marriage because where is the marriage? It has died. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to be in a marriage where death exists just for the sake of keeping faithful to a vow that has inevitably been broken. Mm -hmm. There are three things in the marriage service that are very, very important. Besides the other important thing is that the consenting to the marriage, mm. therefore forsaking all others and be faithful to as long as you both shall live. Now, there's three things. You make a vow there. You make a vow to the normal vows. I, 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 I so-and-so take you, so-and-so to be my mm -hmm. wife. And the third thing, you put a ring on the finger. And then you're bound together. So there is, there is three times when you have to consider doing what, what, what males do in marriages. Now, how can we expect women or whoever is abused in a marriage to stay in a marriage where what they are experiencing is death, not life? Yeah. Now, there are, there's either the way that divorce becomes an issue or there's a way in which the, 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 the woman is empowered enough to say, we're going to marriage counseling. We're going to reconciliation. You're going to go to anger management. I love you enough to give you a chance to get yield yourself. Mm. But if either of that is not good enough, then it means, so, so that's part of life. She's giving him an opportunity to live. Then I would say nobody is expected to live in a marriage and should not be expected to live in a marriage if all that is being breathed upon them is death. Yeah. Yeah. No, because I, I, the cross I totally says agree. no to those things. Um, no, no to those things. A resounding no. 
And we can't perpetuate that simply because we say you've made the vow or as mm. easily as people say, you koi, it you koi gemaak jy met daarop slaap. That's why, I mean, it's so, it's, yeah, so important now that we're thinking of the marriage thing is that we take it very seriously. This is a, a way of life that all should reverence and none should lightly undertake. That mm. statement in the introduction is crucial. But do people listen to it? Mm -mm. You know? Mm -mm. And particularly men. Yeah. I was talking to a friend of mine, um, and he was saying, we, we, we're the same age, it was his birthday, I called him on his birthday, and he was like talking, telling me that he plans to get married next year. Like, it was the first time that he actually vocalized it. And I was like, you've been with this girl for two years. So he's like, yeah, but we've now reached an age where we don't have to be engaged so long anymore because we must now know who we are. So I'm like, yes, but you still have to learn an entire other person um, and see that person in various situations and how they react and then see if you're still compatible with that idea of that person in those situations. And yeah, that that's... I... Like, I, I don't even believe, and, and, and I mean, again, like, this comes with context of coming from a home where my parents were divorced by the time I had reached consciousness. Um, so divorce is a completely normal thing for me. Um, and, yeah, it's still taboo in many circles, and I, I get that, I understand that, but I'm even fully against if there is physical abuse happening like there's no amount of counseling that's going to help that but, but it, you see sadly enough it doesn't start necessarily with physical abuse mm. people only begin to wake up when it start when it comes to physical abuse before it is actually addressed so just how much awareness making and how much empowerment do we need for women who have not been married, uh, girls, young girls at our schools, in our Sunday school classes, and in the um, in our homes, and also in our um, churches, where we need to be doing empowerment work to be able to let this woman know she is not meant to be somebody's wet rag. Yeah. She is not yeah. meant to 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 um, give up her individuality because that's her gift. I I hope that the verse eight would be something. Verse eight and verse nine would be something that um, all of us who have been victimized would would hold on to, because God is faithful. He will strengthen us to the end. Now, how do we look at that when we are in a state of powerlessness and weakness mm. and this could be simply for example i may some say something disrespectful to you that doesn't make you feel lacquer or right now you know you said you in competition with somebody in the week and um, when you did not get the account you know there was a sense of of you know Failure. I, I don't think, yeah, failure. But does that, can should that be looked at then as, as a negative or is there a sense in which even if I did not make it this time, that does not diminish 
God's faithfulness towards me. And th- I know that through the experience of reflection, I will, ex- I will be open to, to learning his strengthening power in me so that I can then tackle the, the, the next step going forward and not going backwards. Mm. So, so I just mm. hope that those two words would be something in me. God is faithful and he's called us into fellowship with his son, Jesus. And because he has done this, he wants to strengthen us at every point and every experience of our weakness that we experience in this world. And I can tell you, almost every moment can be a challenge of weakness. He can come on the road and come in the home, can come through words and come through an experience. Something there always seeks to break us down. Mm. Mm. And our own strengths can't combat it. So to look at God's faithfulness and because we're in fellowship with Jesus, how does that become our strengthening power in a moment of weakness? How do we therefore hold on to that and speak truth to power? Mm. Like I, I, I enjoy this about Christianity. Like I, I, I like to make fun of people who live on their knees um, because like in my mind, it's like just praying is is not going to do anything. Like praying about the situation is not going to do anything. But I understand that I like I'm an introverted, introspective person by nature. Like I we were driving home today and my idea of like Christmas music is like really melancholic kind of acoustic stuff and not like the joyful happy clappy stuff um, because for me it's it's a time it's like the end of the year it's a time of to reflect on the year that is past all the wins and losses and all those things and then learn from that and go into the new year with the renewed figure um, where a lot of people need a passage like verse 8 that they can sit and reflect on and find the meaning in it and then gather their strength from that so like if prayer is used as a tool to become still, to, med- to go into a meditative state, to take stock of the situation, to plan your next steps forward, great. I am all for it. But it should never be a substitute for actual action. <laughs> no, absolutely. I think, I think it's short-sighted to, to assume that the call to prayer it's just so that we can tell God what's on our minds and then move on and leave it with him. Mm. I think it's more about, I think it's very important that we learn how to pray by keeping silent before mm. him. Before we, we said there's a lovely part in the new, in the, in the evening and morning prayer, second form of prayers. It says, Lord, you know our needs before, our, before our, we ask it and our ignorance in asking it. Mm. So, so it's a sense in which prayer is really, let me listen to God who inevitably has already heard what was on my mind and heart, but also then to tell him that as I listen to him. Uh, in John 15 verse 7, it says, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you want and it will be given to you. So there is this whole thing of abiding, becoming still, residing without words. And not our words so necessarily, but the words of Jesus. 
in order for us to then say what we say. So his words help us to pray. It's, it's like the call to, of the Lord's Prayer. The disciples said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And he says, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven. And then we got that prayer. So it's all based on prayer is really based on his words in us rather than our words being spoken to him. Because his words is a word of creativity, a word that says, let there be. Mm. And there was. It's a word that brings uh, that brings life. Mm. And talking about words that bring life, the gospel this week is according to Mark the Evangelist, um, chapter 13, verses 24 to 37. And it's again one of those confounding passages where Jesus starts off about sketching by sketching like this apocalyptic scene of the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars are falling from the heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken and they will see the son of man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then he ends the passage by saying that you will not know when. Be, what, be aware, keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. And it's like, but when the signs happen that you just said, <laughs> that's supposed to be the time. So, like, we we are continuously living in end times. Like, if you had to live, if you had to literally, if you had to use the Bible as a literal interpre interpretation of what the end times would be like, like, every year is the worst thing on in the world. Yeah. Um, how do we make sense of this sort of passage, Father? Well, you know, one of the things that I le learned from this is that um, verse 26 says, and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. The responses to his presence, how dare the sun think it can shine in the presence of the one who comes with power and great glory? How dare the moon think its light is more important? So creation and the universe, as they see him coming, enters into the state of bowing before him because his glory exudes all because he gives life to all. And so, so it does give us the understanding that when God comes like this, he comes not to just for the human people, he comes and there's a response to heaven, uh, to him from heaven and earth, the response of the universe and creation, because he's the Lord of heaven and earth. Mm. He's the Lord that called them into being, and his presence brings them to worship. Um, so, so I find what I found, in fact, what struck stuck out for me is Jesus saying, verse 26, 28, then, from the fig tree, learn its lesson. Mm. So he's already mm. saying to us. There are ways in which you need to be able to read the signs of the times. And when you learn that lesson and apply it to your life, then you, in spite of sleeping, will be awakened to my coming. So what mm. does the fig tree teach us? When its branches become tender and puts out leaves, you know, you know. The lesson says, you know, as you observe the changing of the leaves, um, into its tender form, 
summer is coming. A season is happening. And you know that. So with my coming, you can also know, but what can you know? You cannot know the day nor the hour. But there are other signs that will tell you, you always have got to be prepared. So I think for me, that verse 28 is crucial. What do we see happening? How do we learn the lessons of eternity by learning the lessons of our everyday life? Fig trees. Fig tree has a lesson to teach us. And then he goes on to say that in our everyday life, Verse 33 is something you would say to your son and daughter when you have to let go of the apron strings on them. Now, you're going out to be on your own for the first time. Mm. Be careful. Be alert. Remember what I told you. Have you observed the way I did things? So that there's, because there's danger outside. You don't know what to expect. But if you really took in everything I've told you, you will be more than prepared to deal with that situation. And so Jesus is teaching us the same thing. Um, and then, and so right through we hear this, this clarion call, keep awake, keep awake, keep awake, because you do not know the time. Um, and as you said, are we not living perpetually in the end times? That there's never a time throughout of the history of the world when we haven't been living in end times. Because um, if we're looking for a specialness of end times, then are we not deluding ourselves, uh, uh, thinking we know that there's a special day in the future? Whereas maybe that day has arrived already to alert us how we should mm. be living. And um, so there are things we can know if we take the lessons of life seriously that will be able to prepare us so that when that day suddenly comes, we will be alert to it and respond to it by being coming awake. So, like my mind on this is, uh, it, it's it's one of the passages that really grates me because we 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 spoke last week and the week before about that that paralysis, that fear of God paralysis mm -hmm. um, that many many evangelists or not evangelists um <laughs> oh what escapes me now the charismatic guys yeah they, yeah those evangelic ministries that they they capitalize on that too because when you have this constant anticipation of the end times it becomes an anxiety um and that anxiety can be wielded against you as long as someone has this stick to beat you with. <laughs> you know, it's like, you must be awake. You must, you know, it will, you never know the day. And, and then, like, it doesn't allow people to live, you know. <laughs> it's like, where, where, where do we find humanity? Where do we find time for humanity yeah. when we are constantly being told that judgment is coming? You know, I think one must ask the question, where is the gospel of Jesus in the preaching of the preachers? Mm. If the gospel beats you up, was that the intention of the good news? Mm. When Jesus uses language that, as you said, is apocryphal or um, 
uh, apocalyptic. Mm. Easy in this word being crude or easy teaching us positively using imagery that could be interpreted in a scary way. Hence, people have generally over many years, many Christians have had problems reading the, the revelation of John. Mm. Because the fear-mongering that some so-called Christians have put into it have caused them to lose reading one of the most beautifully written um, narratives of vision in the Bible. All of us have suffered that as, as a result of that because of the fear-mongering from the pulpit. Mm. You see, and so when we look at the way Jesus spoke, was Jesus fear-mongering here? Or was he describing what does, it, what does the day look when the Son of Man comes on, on the clouds of great power and glory? Mm. Is, it gonna be a, is it something to be afraid of and fearful of? Or is it something to be positively prepared for? So yes, the sun may be darkened. The moon may not have light. But he comes in glory. That's light itself. And so the natural things that we would be comfortable with um, may, not be, may not function in the way that they, that they normally function. We have lived through seasons where rain, no rain led to drought, mm. where heat waves are insurmountable. A couple of weeks ago, there was an earthquake in Cape Town. A number of earthquakes. <laughs> and we felt it. And it was right near to the nuclear plant. When last did we even experience that? Mm. We never knew that there was a fault line along the West Coast. Now we know. So, so either we are saying that this world is so scary, or we can say, in my interpretation, this world is so dynamic. Mm. And because it's dynamic, we therefore live in an everyday state of preparation. Why? Because from very simple lessons as the fig tree, we learn our lessons. If we take notice, because not every one of us like to learn, because we are so self-centered around our own lives, we're not wanting to be students of life and neither students of God. So what more beautiful a day can it ever be? I, I would even want to say, that if Christmas stirs the heart as it does, how much more would our hearts be stirred with the coming of the Son of Man with great power and glory? Is that a day to be afraid of or a day to look up to? In our the gentle rhythm of the Eucharist, we saying this preparatory, Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Mm. And so in that gentleness of the Eucharist, we are continuing to celebrate Christ in his coming through death, in his coming, in resurrection, in his coming again, in glory. And so there may be things that are abnormal to our daily experience, but 
what are the lessons we can learn from, even from a fig tree? Mm. So how many other things has God planted in this beautiful garden called the earth, under the earth and above the earth, that has lessons to teach us? Mm. You know, we're, ex we're expecting that when the sun is darkened at our part of the world, <coughs> the moon and the light will, will come up. The moon and the stars will come up. But when he is going to shine in all his glory, then we have no need of the light of sun or moon. I like this gentle, positive spin that, that, that you've put on, on, on the end times because, like, obviously this is the first Sunday in, in Advent, so we're preparing for the arrival of Jesus, but this arrival isn't heralded by any signs besides for the big bright star. Um, but, yeah, it's, 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 it's a very refreshing take, Father. And just to your point about the fault line and the earthquakes, um, fun fact, because this exploration of faith in the time of crisis also allows me to drop a few scientific knowledge bombs. Um, the city of Corinth was destroyed in 1858 by a 6.5 magnitude earthquake. This is important because it happened three kilometers away. Um, Kuberg was designed as the first of its generation of reactors to withstand a direct hit by a 6.5 magnitude earthquake. So like yes. a, a magnitude 4 earthquake out in the ocean, a good couple of kilometers away, there's nothing to worry about. Kuberg will stand. <laughs> Kuberg is <laughs> ready for this. Um, and then, yes, the, when they, they rebuilt the city of Corinth, and then in 1928, a magnitude 6.3 earthquake devastated the new city that was rebuilt on the same site. And then in 1933, there was a great fire, and the new city was rebuilt again. So just like Corinth, Cape Town will survive. <laughs> so there's a story of hope. Yes. A process of rebuilding. Yeah. Amazing. Um, and on that note, Father, um, are there any other points of reflection you can extract from the prayers of the church? I think um, I would like people to just go and read all the prayers uh, connected to um, the Pew leaflet, which we're praying during this time. But I would like to focus on, you know, the fact that people are talking about the second wave of mm. the coronavirus um, twice in this week. We were told of people who had been in, in our um, spaces, have been in touch with others who have been uh, affected. And thankfully, we've got news back that um, they tested negative. <clears throat> but it just sort of tells us just how close to home COVID is. Mm. And, and so thinking of the 5.21 increase that the Premier was speaking about, thinking of what was going on in the Eastern Cape and listening to the stories of the nurses and the doctors of how they're having to cope under very adverse circumstances and, you know, the tragedy of one person who couldn't be treated immediately, dying in a wheelchair, um, a woman uh, of the COVID vine, then just a couple of, one bed away from where she was sitting was a 13-year-old boy Mm. And people having to look at this in their faces. So I just want us to think about that. And I think in the week we also had um, nurses striking in the Western Cape 
because of pay and also on the conditions they're having to work under. Mm. And primarily the fact that we don't have many and enough trained, skilled doctors and nurses um, who can help us with the scores. So we pray, author of life and healer of the nations, grant us courage to face our trial, give us wisdom to find relief, give us faith to be responsible, grant us your salvation for Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. And then, uh, Lindsay, the 16 days of activism, um, the theme for 2020, as I said earlier, is Orange the World Fund Respond. This is the one who is on the cross wounded. I was wounded for your transgressions, crushed for your iniquities. Upon me was the punishment that made you all whole, and by my bruises you are healed. And here we give thanks to God for his faithfulness, calling us into fellowship with Jesus so that we can be strengthened to the end. So we pray for our continent and people. In the words of Trevor Huddleston, God bless Africa, God our children, guide our leaders and give us peace for Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. Mm. And then in conclusion, um, the prayers of commission and benediction. My sisters and brothers, may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be amongst you and remain with you always. We celebrated God's Son who comes to us in humility as our Savior. Let us now go in peace to love and serve the Lord. In the name of Christ we do so. Amen. Thank you for tuning in and God bless you. Share the podcast with others and please give some feedback. It will very, very much help us, both Lindsay and myself, in recognizing where, in what areas we still need to grow in, in this work for God.